Let's open our Bibles, please, to Ezekiel. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 33. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning with verse 17. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for Jesus, our wonderful Lord. We give to Christ the honor and glory for the privilege of being in God's house today. We pray Thou wilt break our hearts over the lost. O Spirit of God, come upon this place today and may the glory of God be revealed. Spirit of the Lord, hover over us. And may we feel the warmth of the presence of God. And may thy spirit give us compassion and care and love for those who are without God. Touch the unsaved and draw them to Christ today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Ezekiel 3, beginning with verse 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. His blood will I require at thy hand. Every man and woman and boy and girl and teenager and young person and university student to whom I speak this morning who is saved, you're God's child by faith without one exception, every one of us God has appointed a watchman. We are watchmen. The Bible has much to say about watchmen. We have not the time this morning to look at all the references in the Word of God to the responsibility of a watchman and the mandate that God has placed upon us to be watchmen. There's one passage that says, Watchmen, what of the night? And in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk said, As a watchman, I will stand upon the tower and watch to see what God will do. In Jeremiah 6, 17, God had a faithful watchman, but the people would not hear. In Isaiah 56, 10, the scripture speaks of a blind watchman. A watchman that was supposed to do his work, but he was blind. 
and the harm and evil came and because the watchman was blind he could not give warning now God says that he has made each of us a watchman in the case of Ezekiel Ezekiel was a watchman to the house of Israel Israel was in trouble Judah was in trouble and there was a hand of iniquity coming a wicked one was coming against the land God said Ezekiel I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel therefore if you do not speak to warn the wicked of his way and to turn from that way and turn to God the iniquity will come and they will die and the man will die in his sins but his blood will I require at thine hand I grew up in a railroaders family I suppose every story that ever occurred on the railroad for 40 years I heard about it I used to love to sit and listen to my dad tell about all the stories out on the road one of the stories that I'd ask him to tell again and again was the story I don't know whether it happened on the LNN or whether it was a story that had happened somewhere else but he used to tell it about a man who had a little boy and the little boy used to go with him out on the run out to his place where he was a watchman and he was a watchman this man was a watchman on the railroad at a bridge across a certain river and it was his duty to warn the trains when the drawbridge was up to allow the ships to go through the river you'd have to turn the signal by hand and it was his duty to see that when the train the main trains came down the line that that drawbridge was back in its place so the trains could go across the river and there would be no harm to anyone one day while the watchman was standing by the road and his little boy was out there playing around the bridge was up and his little boy was down there playing around the wheels of that bridge where the bridge would go up and then would let down to cross the river and off in the distance he heard the mainline train coming he knew what he did, needed to do he must let that bridge down so that the train could go across the bridge and so he got the lever and started to let the bridge down and all of a sudden he looked down and there was his little boy down under the wheels of that old bridge and he knew that if he let the bridge down the bridge would come down and and crush his little boy to death and he heard the train coming oh what shall I do what shall I do if I let the train if I let the bridge down my little boy will die if I don't the train will come and the bridge will be out 
and maybe hundreds of people will go down in the watery grave. What shall I do? He thought for a moment, and he prayed. Then he closed his eyes, and he pulled the lever. He knew that his work and his responsibility was to be a watchman, and he pulled the lever, and the bridge lowered, and lowered, and lowered. And just at the last moment, he heard the scream of his little boy, and just as he did, the train shot out across that bridge. The hundreds of people on the train were safe, but his little boy crushed under the track. The watchman did what he had to do. He was a watchman. This illustrates two things. Number one, it illustrates what Jesus did for us. It illustrates that God, the great watchman of the world, wanted to get us safe across the, from earth to heaven, across that awful abyss called hell. And so, when it became necessary, he let his only begotten son be that bridge across which you and I could go into glory. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to down a cross for our sins. And secondly, it illustrates that you and I, as watchmen, must do what God tells us to do regardless of the circumstances. So I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. When you see the evil coming, when you see the judgment coming, if you do not speak to warn the wicked of his way, that wicked man will die in his iniquity but his blood will I require at thine hand. On the railroad, when a man would disobey the rules, there would be some accident or some problem. Often those men would be called to give an account and sometimes if it was not too serious a thing, they would be given certain days. That meant days off with no pay. If it was exceedingly serious they would be fired because they failed to do what they needed to do as watchmen now God says he has made us watchmen to the house of the world he has set us in the city of Bowling Green as watchmen to draw men and women and boys and girls to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to go out and weep o'er the erring one and lift up the fallen and tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. How are we going to get this job done? How are we going to go so that we'll not have bloody hands? So that one day we'll not stand before God and he'll say, I will require their blood at your hand. I think the answer is found in Psalm 126. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We have six answers to the question, how can I escape bloody hands? How can I, in the year 1976, should I be called before the court of heaven to give an account of what I did with the gospel? How can I avoid bloody hands? Number one, he that goeth forth and weepeth. 
the commission in the scriptures to go, for you and I to go. We see a man in his sins. We see a man out in the city of Bowling Green in need. God says to go. We're living in an age when men think mostly of themselves. Very few take seriously the fact related in Genesis that we are our brother's keeper. We go up and down the land today and find men and women and boys and girls afraid, afraid to go on living, afraid to die. They look on their right hand and their left and refuge fails them and they cry out, no man cares for my soul. You've heard me tell the story. When I was in Savannah, Tennessee years ago, we were having a revival meeting at our church and I went out to invite people to come. I walked, knocked on a certain door and a young lady came to the door about 23 years of age and she let me come in and I began to try to talk to her about the Lord. Oh, she said, she said, I'm not interested in what you're telling me. And she said, furthermore, I'll not ever be interested. But she said, if you can get the meanest woman in this town to come to your revival meeting, I'll come. Well, I didn't know who the meanest woman was and I said, I don't know who that is. Who is she? Tell me and I'll try to go see her. She said, she's my mother-in-law. And if you can get that old witch to come, I'll come. Well, I left after a while, and she told me where the woman lived, and I got another preacher to go with me. And I drove out that road and stopped, and there was an old house, looked like it hadn't been painted for 40 years. I walked up toward that house, and a black cat crossed in front of me. I went up and knocked on the door, and a little crack came in the door. I saw an old wrinkled face and some old eyes looking out at me, and I said, good, good, good morning, I'm Richard Oldham from the Baptist Church. Bang, went the door right in my face. Well, I turned and left, felt defeated and discouraged. But you know, God put that old woman on my heart. Some weeks went by, it was cold weather, and I drove back out that same road and stopped the car and went up and knocked on the door again. And this time a little crack came in the door and I was pretty bold in those days and I stuck my foot right in that crack. I said, I'm Richard Oldham, I wanna come in and talk to you about Jesus. She didn't say a word, I just pushed the door open and went in. And I said, could I sit down? She didn't say a word. She went over and sat down in a rocking chair. There was an old pot-bellied stove there and three or four black cats walking around the floor. So I took my Bible, sat down next to her and showed her from the Bible how much God loved her. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I asked her to open her heart to Jesus. And she didn't say a word, not a word didn't even open her mouth, just looked down at the floor. This old lady, 83 years old. I got up and left. I got on my knees and prayed. I prayed that God would save her and I left. Several months went by. It was springtime and I drove back out that road and as I drove past her house, there she was sitting on the swing on the front porch and I got out of my car and ran up on the porch and sat down beside her I put my arm up around her, put my Bible over in her lap, and I said, Ms. Williams, God loves you. I believe God sent me here to tell you how much he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Ms. Williams, I love you. 
And with that, I saw a tear trickle down through those old wrinkles and it fell on my Bible. It wasn't long till that lady who had lived 80 years without Jesus, 83 years, opened her heart to Christ. We had the joy of seeing her follow the Lord in believer's baptism. She became a member of that church, didn't live very long, went on to heaven at her memorial service. There was such a testimony of changed life. The place was packed and jammed at the funeral and at that service. Four of her grandsons got saved and one surrendered to preach and he's preaching in Hardin County, Tennessee today. I looked on my right hand and nobody cared. I think of this text that says go. That's what the Lord wants us to do. Jesus said go, go, go and I'll go with you. You'll never win people to Christ without going. Sometimes we get the imagined idea that if we live a pretty life, if we cut our cussing and drinking and smoking and chewing and, and uh, running around, all those kind of things, and we live a pretty little old dainty life, I'll live such a life that I'll live before the world and they'll come up to me and they'll say, what is it about you that's different? I'd like to have that. Well, I want to tell you, the unsaved world aren't that smart. They don't know what, what it is about you, and they're not going to get saved by just looking at your life. Now, your life will be a testimony, and you and I need to live for Christ. But not only did God give us a life to live, He gave us lips to use to tell others the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way people are going to get saved is if we go. We go after them. If these people who give testimonies would tell you, they would tell you that somebody came and invited them to hear God's Word. Somebody cared about them and, and came to urge them to come. I think of this next thing that says, he that goeth forth and weepeth. That's the second qualification. If we're going to avoid having bloody hands, we need to have a broken heart here. It's either bloody hands there or broken heart here. The unsaved may be able to outsmart us with their arguments. They may be able to give us all kinds of counter reasons and counter excuses why they'll not trust Christ, but I want to tell you, they don't have any answer for tears. And when we care enough to weep, we care enough to go with tears, I believe God answers. I was in a revival meeting in Owensboro, and one day, Toward the end of the meeting, a man came and said, I have a friend up here in the country that needs to be saved. Would you and the pastor go and talk to him? Well, we went and talked, showed him from the Bible how to be saved, and he wouldn't trust Christ. And that night at the meeting, the man said, did you go? We said, yes, we went. Oh, he said, I can't stand it if he's not saved. He said, I've never tried to tell him about the Lord. I don't know how, but oh, I can't stand it unless he's saved. That man, a deacon in that church, had tears in his eyes. I said, will you go with me tomorrow? We'll go back. We went back. That man went with me. And we went up that way out in the country, way up on a lonely road. And we went up there and knocked on the door, and that old hard man came. He said, you're back again. I said, yes, we're here. We couldn't stand it without seeing you saved. Well, I'm just not interested. We went in sort of almost barged in. I don't usually do that. Somebody doesn't want to let me in, I don't go in, but we almost barged in. This, 
we sat down and opened the Bible again. He said, now you can't tell me anything in the Bible that I don't know. He said, I know all about it and all about those old hypocrites down at the church and I'm just not interested. And this guy's name was Paul that was with me. And Paul had a broken heart. He started weeping. He got up and he went over and put his hand on that man's shoulder and he said, listen, I've known you for 40 years and I want to apologize for not ever talking to you about Jesus. But he said, you and I both are going to die one of these days. And I want to ask you to open your heart to Christ. Do you know a miracle happened? That old hard man looked at the tears in his friend's eyes and tears came in his eyes. He said, well, if it means that much to you, you tell me how. And old Paul, who didn't know how to tell him from the Bible, told him from his heart how to give his heart to Jesus. And we both got down on our knees and that old man was saved. What am I saying? The promise is, he that goeth forth and weepeth. We may not always all be able to weep with tears, but we need a broken heart over lost men and lost women. We need to know what it is they're being saved from. How awful is the eternity of hell, separation from God forever and forever. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, the word of God. God promises to honor his word. God promises to honor the word of God. And when we go, let's not give them our arguments, but let's give them the word of God. Let's tell them how much God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm not sure what it was that drew my friend Hugh to the Lord, but I know God put him on my heart over a long period of time. And I suppose every week, week after week after week after week on Thursday nights, I'd go to see this friend. And sometimes I felt like I was a nuisance. Sometimes I wondered if he didn't try to hide when I came because I'd go every week. One night, there was a revival meeting going on here in town, and I wanted very much to go to that revival meeting. It was the only night I had open, and there was a friend of mine preaching, and I wanted to go. So we met at the church, and we gave out visitation assignments, and, and I got in my car, and I went over to that revival meeting. And I got out of the car and started up to the church, and the Lord said, Richard, you better go back and talk to that, your friend here again. He needs the Lord. Oh, I said, Lord, I've been there night after night after night. I can't go tonight. I, I want to go to this revival meeting. God said, you better go. And I, I did a strange thing. I was halfway up to the door. I'd already shaken hands with some of the people at the door, and I turned without saying a word and got in my car. I guess they thought I'm crazy. I've never given any reason since then. And I got in my car and drove down to Hope Street. I drove in Hope Street. And I started to stop in front of that house and the devil said, now don't stop there. You've been there every Thursday for weeks. Don't go tonight. So I drove on down the street. The Lord said, Richard, you better go back tonight. And I turned my car around and went back. And the devil said, don't go in there tonight. You've been there. You're just a pest. So I went on down the street and God said, Richard, you go tonight. And I turned my car around and I went back and stopped it and jumped out before the devil could say anything else. 
And I went up there and knocked on that door and his wife came to the door and I said, I want to see Hugh. She said, he's in the back getting ready to go fishing. And I walked through the house. I don't know where I got that boldness. I'd never been back in their back room. And I went through the house and went out the back door and I got my Bible out and there was a lantern he was fixing to go fishing with. I held my Bible down by the lantern and I said, Hugh, God loves you and he wants to save you. And I showed him something from the Bible. I'm sure I'd showed it over and over and over again. But God honors his word. God honors his word. We opened that word again. My dear friend, Hugh asked Jesus to come into his heart that night. He's here today, sitting in this auditorium. Because Christ saved him. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless there's a certainty when we go they'll come when we go we'll bring them back and i want to tell you the greatest companionship in this earth is the companionship of men and women who have been brought and brought to christ by your efforts if you're lonely go out and win somebody to christ and make him your companion you'll not be lonely again if you want some friends Go out and win some people to Christ. They'll love you as long as you live. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. There'll be joy. Joy? Joy? Why, the Bible says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents more than over 99 just persons that need no repentance. There is joy. Jesus said, I have written this, John said, I have written this thing unto you that your joy might be full. And Jesus said in John 16, 24, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. God wants us to be joy-filled and joy-bringers. You want a joyous year? You want this to be the greatest year of your life, 1976? Then I want to urge you, men, women, boys, girls, to say to God this morning, on this January morning, God being my helper, I want to commit myself this year to win somebody to Christ. I want to be a soul winner. You may not be a member of this church, but you can be a soul winner. You may not be a lot of things, but you can be a soul winner. If you'll do what God says, there are two alternatives. You either become a soul winner for Christ and go out and win folks to Christ, or when we get before God, you're going to have bloody hands. Oh, you say, preacher, don't talk like that. You have no right to say that I'm going to have bloody hands. Well, God says it. I have set thee a watchman of the house of your family. I have set you a watchman of the house of Bowling Green. I have set you a watchman. If you see that thing approaching and you do not warn the wicked to turn from his wicked way, he will die in his iniquity but thy, his blood will I require at thine hand. Which will it be this morning? Will you say, Lord, use me as a soul winner this year? Lord, for the glory of God, use me to bring other people to Christ this year? Or are you going to say this morning, on January 11th, sitting at Glendale Baptist Church, I decided that I wanted to have bloody hands when I got to the judgment. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let's close our eyes in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our hearts humbled before the Lord, all of us in prayer, I want to ask you to do something. I don't do this often. Once in a while, 
But I feel impressed and have felt impressed for a week to ask you to do this. I told you last Sunday night that I was going to give you a week to think this through and then ask you to do it. I want to ask you this morning, those of you who would earnestly and honestly say, Dear Lord Jesus, in this year of 1976, I want to ask you to make me a soul winner. Oh God, oh God, I want to so humble myself before the Lord, so yield myself to Thee, that I just want to ask you for the power of the Holy Spirit to be the soul winner Christ wants me to be. With no music and nobody singing, if you mean business for the King with everybody in prayer, all of our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to ask you to come and kneel at this altar right now. If you'd like to say, Lord, in this year of 1976, please make me a soul winner. Oh, I don't want to have bloody hands, but I want, I want the power of God upon my life that I might be a winner of men to Christ. Now, nobody looking around, just pray. Just those that the Holy Spirit has touched, you can come. You don't have to be a member of this church to come. If the Spirit of the Lord has spoken to you and you'd like to say this year, I want to pay the price, I want to, I want to be a soul winner. Oh God, that's what I want. For Jesus' sake, I'm willing to pay the price. In prayer, in separated living, in giving my time to go week by week after the lost, Lord, give me the power of God upon my life to do that for Jesus' sake. We're going to wait a moment. My eyes are closed, and I hope everybody else's eyes are closed.